Now, here's your host of Sound Off, Brad Bennett. Yes, here we are, our number two, and the boys are in the house. Let the sawdust fly. <laughs> morning, morning. How's it going down there, Brad? Good morning, Peter Wood. Hey, thank you for the shipment of wonderful shirts and lots of vibrant colors. Things are really, uh, really uh, go big over here. Well, thank Um, you. And I got them out on. uh, Yeah, I got them out on some pretty nice looking uh, bodies too. So (laughs) now you're teasing me. (laughs) Well, I was going to give them to you, folks. I gave them some T-shirts to hand out to the folks down there and that. And I was going to give them to you in September, and I come in and you're gone. Yeah. And I thought, well, this then I kept forgetting, forgetting. So finally I thought, let's get them out there, send them down. I'm glad you got them, sharing with the folks down there, a lot of good people. And I just want to thank everybody. It would be great if we could give one to every listener out there, but I think I'd go broke in a hurry. But. Well, yeah, that's that's the thing. But but I did get them out. Uh, some of our waitresses and uh, bar and uh, female bartenders at the Marine Corps League loved them and said, "Can we wear them at work?" <laughs> no, I got to send more. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, oh. uh, say why don't you uh, why don't you start off by introducing your guests this morning? You got some great people uh, going to help you this morning. Excellent, excellent representations of the logging industry, uh, folks. Before I do that, would you? I, I just want to say one thing really quick. If you could keep this in mind, have you ever heard the terminology penny wise and dollar dumb? Penny wise oh, and dollar sure. dumb. It's an older saying. Could you keep that in mind during this whole show, but transfer it from tree wise and forest dumb? Tree wise and forest dumb. If you could kind of. Tree wise k- and forest dumb. Yeah, okay. keep that in mind. And then, if you can, after the show, sometime this evening, could you go listen to the podcast of last month with Bruce Vincent and then come back to this one? And keep that in mind during those shows. Keep it in mind during this show today. Tree wise and dollar dumb. Penny wise and dollar dumb. Tree wise and forest dumb. If you could okay. do that, okay? So, with that. And we got Henry Schoenbeck in studio from Wisconsin. And then we got Bill Jones via phone from Alabama. Bill, are you there? Yes, sir. We're here. Good, good to hear from you there, Pete. Good, good, Bill. We got Henry in studio and Brad down in via Florida. By <laughs> <My> connection <laughs> in Florida. Uh, so you're better off to holler uh, outside the window at each other, I think. Yeah, no kidding. I got to ask Bill a question because I do know you guys do a lot of logging uh, down in Alabama. But what are those things you log? I see uh, when when we go through there all the way on, you know, on the way back or on the way down, we always see these long, long poles. Uh, They look like some sort of a a spruce or something that they're taking. Uh, A lot of times you'll probably be seeing some of the the telephone poles. In South Alabama, there's a good bit of a pole industry down there that supplies rural electric departments with uh, power poles and that sort of thing. It's a big industry in the southern part of the state. Okay, that's what it is. Yeah, because they're real long and they have a flag on the end of them. They they look like they're maybe 40 feet long, but... uh, yeah, I suppose they're converting them into pole power poles and things like that, right? That's correct. And uh, we, we have some that get up to over 100 feet long. <laughs> those are real tricky Ooh. when you see that. 
But, uh, yeah, those are peel poles, a lot of them. Some of them have already been through the treating plants and they're ready to go to the small rural electric power uh, companies to install for power poles. But also you may okay. be tree link logging, you know, coming up and down. It's not very frequently you see a lot on the interstates, but occasionally you'll see a loaded log truck with uh, with the bark still on the tree. So so be careful when yes. you see log trucks in about. Well, uh, Peter Wood, uh, why don't you lead the discussion this morning? Because you know okay. where you want to go with this. Yeah, if we could. Um, um, last month when we were talking to Bruce, we talked a lot about how the forests were not really managed out there. Not really. And about how fires have been uh, instrumental in managing the forest a little bit. Not the proper way. And I gave Kenny a map of Alabama that we got from them last summer. And it shows about logging in Alabama. And Bill, you want to hit on a little bit about Alabama. Logging down there is extremely intense. Out in Montana, it's I think 90-some percent of the forest is federally owned and state. You go to Alabama and, Bill, what is the forest there? It's a huge contrast it's, it's, here. It's almost totally the opposite. We have less than 5% of our forest here that is owned by federal or state entities. I mean, there's some really productive forests that they have, but they're not managed as intensively as some of our private forests. We probably have about 22.5 million acres of commercial forests here that need, you know, most of it, you know, 80% of it or more belongs to uh, the private non-industrial landowners. Uh, so it's wow. held by individuals and families and, and that sort of thing. So a significant amount of timberland here in the south, all across, you know, from Texas all the way up to Virginia is held by private non-industrial landowners, people that have family farms, people who made investments in timber. Some of them are old line sawmill companies that held it in their families and still continue to hold on to those holdings. So so forestry in the South is a whole different picture from what you see from what uh, Bruce was telling you about out West uh, last month. We, uh, we're pretty uh, in, uh, you know, interested in trying to manage these forests you know, on private lands too. It's a pretty significant effort to do so. And with that, you, you attract, when you manage your forest like that, you attract businesses to build consuming mills down there. And you in, instead of having tax dollars go out to for, fight forest fires, you have tax dollars being brought into your economy there. Isn't that correct, Bill, down there? That, that's, that's pretty much true. Uh, it's a big, big part of our, our, you know, of course, private land and, and the tax base is very important to counties uh, and schools and roads and those sorts of things to have. You know, have more tax base to support these counties for those sorts of things, and plus, the growing timber is a significant amount to local economies here. Um, you know, just looking at the outlay of our mills down here, you know, we've got at least 11 uh, paper mills that are running from North Alabama all the way to the coast, just about it, and some on in, in you know just across the state line that get a good bit of their furnish from our private non-industrial lands here, uh, from private landowners that sell timber on a regular basis. So it's a significant uh, economic impact for local economies here in our state. Not just the paper mills, but also a real broad-based uh, uh, solid wood products industry, both hardwood and pine sawmills. We've actually had addition of four sawmills in the last two years that are pretty you know, strong, big sawmills that have come online in the last two years, just simply because we have a growing uh, inventory of, of forest products out there. Well, I got to tell you, Brad. I wish you could see this map. And Bill, I'm producer Kenny of the program. But uh, every county 
in the state of Alabama, every county has a furniture or related product manufacturer, a paper manufacturer, a wood product manufacturer, or logging is done. Bill, this is amazing looking at this map. It is a significant part of our economy down here. And you're correct, uh, uh, Kenny, that, that uh, we pretty much have a facility in just about every county down here. There are some areas of the state that are not, you know, real heavy to forestry, particularly in the area where the black belt soils are called the black belt here of Alabama. That's heavy to farming and cattle. Uh, the Tennessee Valley is heavy to farming. Then we also have a wiregrass area down around the southeast corner of the state that is heavy to agriculture. But Again, uh, forestry makes up about uh, 22.5 million acres of timberland here in our state. 80% plus is owned by private individuals. So it's a very dynamic thing that impacts the economies down here. It really does. Okay, Bill, with that... that that's, th- uh, that's Peter, that's substantially different even in Minnesota, right? I mean, with, really a, a lot. lot of the land in Minnesota is owned by state and counties, etc. Yep, like, that's why I wanted Henry here, because he has some stuff on what Wisconsin, because we always talk Minnesota, but I want to get Wisconsin perspective now real quick. There, how much land is publicly owned there, Henry, and how much is private? Would you say, managed? Well, so we've we've got about seventeen point one million acres of forested land, uh, Peter, and I can tell you that uh, two point four million of that is county owned. Uh, we're one of the few states that has a lot of county forest. We have a very vibrant county forest uh, program, and that money generated from that goes right back into the local economy. And then we've got 1.5 million of state land and 1.5 million of federal land, and the 12 million that's left over is privately owned land. So it's is all private. in the upper 60% range. So if yeah. you add them all together, how much land is that? At 17.1 million of just forested land. Forested land. And how much do you have down there, Bill? It's about 22 and a half. 22 and a half million acres, of, you know, in timberland. And- and it's in varying, varying forestry types. It's not all pine. It's, we got a big hardwood component, uh, uh, both in the river valleys and also on the Cumberland Plateau. So we have some really good quality hardwoods in the northeastern part of the state. So, it's a, you know, it's a dynamic forestry. It's a real working forest as well. And, sure. and then with that thought, Henry, do you know how many forest fires you had in the last year? Do you know how many, what's your average size of burning or anything like that? No, I, I can just tell you, Peter, it's very small. It, it's only been, you know, I think the largest fire we had was in 2013 here in recent history, 2014 in that area, and that was about 7,700 acres. Other than that, it's just a few acres here, a few acres there, but it's been nothing major in the last okay. five, and, six years. And then, Bill, you, how many? what's your average forest fire down there with what you do down there, would you guess? You know, our State Forestry Commission keeps up those statistics very well, and I kind of looked that up knowing that I was coming on the show. And our average fire is anywhere from 5 to 12 acres at most. Um, you know, that's the average. <laughs> 5 to 12. You said 5 to 12. That's like a backyard barbecue. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we have bonfires bigger than that. In yeah. 2019, I think the total acres of wildfire added up to a little over 20,000 acres scattered all across the state. Now, mind you, there's some areas where it is very dangerous. There's some very tough terrain in certain areas. It's hard, you know, to fight some of these fires. And we do get in heavy drought situations. Situations usually in the fall of the year, 
and that's when our high da- fire danger rating days are, you know, usually occur. And we do have, you know, probably on average 15 to 20 days that the state forest will issue a no burning permit. But we have a lot of activity here on prescribed burning, and it's part of the management program of a lot of these landowners that they do prescribe fire, particularly in a lot of your pine plantation forests and also in your natural pine. That's one of the rays that we uh, try to regenerate the forests and prepare seedbed, you know, particularly these areas that are going to be harvested, is to try to get some prescribed fire through there try to prepare seedbed for the next crop of trees if they're doing natural regeneration, which is a big part of some of these private landowner strategies to try to manage natural pine. So you're, but well, you're Peter, controlled burn that way, doing it like that, it sounds like. Yeah. Sorry, Brad. Peter, um, as you know, we're a commercial radio station. We're going to have to take a break and sell some things. But when we come back, can we talk a little bit, uh, because I'm visualizing in my mind there is a tremendous difference between a logging operation like yours, Peter, up here in northern Minnesota. You Mm -hmm. have to deal with the cold, with the wind, with the snow. Uh, as opposed to down in Alabama, you, yeah, I suppose you got some storms and some rainstorms and stuff, but you don't really have nearly the weather conditions to deal with. And I would assume that allows for a, a much more aggressive harvesting season. So maybe we can talk about the sure. differences in those Definitely. Uh, when we come back as well. Definitely. Uh, but we're, we're going to have to take a quick break here. I do want to remind everybody uh, of our good friends up at the Cast Iron Bar and Grill. If you're looking for amazing food, food, uh, epic live music, or a space to have a small gathering or a huge event, the Cast Iron Bar and Grill is a one-stop shop for food, fun, family get-togethers. Uh, Pike Lake, it used to be a secret up there at Pike Lake, but the Cast Iron Bar and Grill secret is out of the bag. If you want one of the best breakfasts you'll ever get anywhere on a Saturday or Sunday morning from 9 a.m. to 1, uh, they will make omelets the way you want them, pancakes, biscuits, and gravy, everything that uh, breakfast staples cooked up fresh for you. Any day's a great day to try out the Cast Iron's luncheon special. And when it comes to a midnight, uh, to, to a great night out with the with the missus, don't miss the live bands uh, each month and the locally sourced acoustic music every weekend. Fridays is all you can eat fish, fish fry at the Cast Iron Bar. Look for a night out. Join John Segwin takes the stage Friday night starting at 6 p.m. for great music. John's a super musician. For a small holiday party or events of 200 people or more, book the Cast Irons Event Center. Cast Iron Bar and Grill off of Miller Trunk Highway in Pike Lake. Find them on Facebook or just give them a call to find out their daily specials at 218-729-7514. That's 218-729-7514. And we'll be right back after this break. If you want something, you gotta ask for it. Just say something like this. Alexa, launch 710 AM. And FM 98.1 WDSM. Giant Redwood. Larch. The fur. The mighty Scots pine. The smell of fresh cut timber. The crash of mighty trees. With my best girl by my side, we'd sing, sing, sing. I'm a lumberjack and I'm okay. I sleep all night and I work all day. He's a lumberjack and he's okay. He sleeps all night and he works all day. I cut down trees, I eat my lunch, I go to the laboratory. On Wednesday, I go shopping and have buttered scones for tea. <laughs> 
Uh, Peter, I bet you, uh, I bet you, Bill Jones down in Alabama's probably never heard that song before. Huh? I don't know, Bill. Are you there? Have you ever heard that song? I've heard that song many times. <laughs> Usually says I like to pick wild flowers. Uh, probably strummed it on his guitar. Bill did. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, but the differences in, uh, Brad, you are asking me before the break about the differences in logging and how we do things. Uh, yes. They have a very difficult time down there freezing their swamps in the wintertime. Like, we have no problem doing that up here. <laughs> I'll bet. <laughs> they do swamp logging. they got to run bet. on the trees. We're just smarter. We wait till it freezes, then we go out in the swamps. <laughs> and and they, probably, they probably have to keep an eye out for those uh, water moccasins and things like that, too. <laughs> I think there's oh, a yeah, lot of that. <laughs> so, so, hey, Bill, why don't you explain? Uh, like uh, from a forester's, real quick, a forester's end when uh, he goes out and cruises timber, do they take dogs with them or they go by themselves? That kind of stuff, real quick. No, that's pretty much by themselves. Not very few people take their dogs, but a few of them do. I'm, I'm not surprised if they don't. I know a guy's cruising the track now up near Bibb County and he takes his dog with him. He's doing a, a management cruise for some people and it's on some pretty rough terrain, so he has taken his dog with him on a couple occasions. For a little uh, protection. Swamp. He lives on Alabama River, and he's just about underwater down there right now. Uh, he's come up over <laughs> wow. his dock, and it's just about in his back door. But uh, we've had a uh, significant amount of rainfall in, in February, and it has kind of put a slowdown on a lot of our production. They were back to work yesterday. I was out and seeing a good bit of activity back, you know, moving some wood. But uh, it's been very challenging this month. We've had... Uh, unusual amount of rainfall we've had almost 22 inches in the month of february so it's wow. been uh, we've got three major systems here that are in flood stage condition and probably they, they, the national weather Service has termed it long duration flooding so it's not going to go down anytime soon that's almost so, an inch a day yeah, yeah. It, it's uh Isn't that something it's, it's been putting a lot of pressure uh, and, and significantly a lot of mills they do a lot of storage over the winter time because they know they're going to have some type of uh, wet weather during the during the uh, months of February, March, and then up into April. So they'll put in wet storage, a lot of inventory. So they can, but those inventories are beginning to come down pretty quickly right now. They're moving that wood into the mills and and beginning to utilize that wet storage wood a good bit here in in, in Alabama. But you talked about the difference in your your logging and, and down here. I know up there, y'all use a forwarding type of system where y'all actually stacked wood roadside and actually the, the trucks all sometimes work independently of the loaders and that sort of thing and down here it's just uh-huh. the opposite they actually use big skidders uh and, and uh, tree harvesters to cut the trees down and bunch them into piles then they'll use a, a john deere tiger cat type skidder uh to pull it to the uh, loading deck and they'll have either one or two loaders there depending on where, how they're going to separate the products and sometimes as many as five or six different separations of products at the deck they'll actually utilize the whole stem you know by cutting some of it up or you know sorting them into different piles for pulp wood or hardwood or whatever comes to the deck they usually have to separate into whatever product class that they're going to actually move to what certain mills that they're hauling to at that particular time and a lot of these tracks of timbers will have you know multiple types of products they'll have saw timber they may have ply logs uh, they may have, you know, pulp wood, maybe some hardwood on, on the loading deck and that sort of thing. And they have to kind of sort that out as the mills are, are buying what at what time and that sort of thing. So there's a lot of decisions have to made, be made on the log, log deck on, on where this material is going to go to. Yep. Some Obviously, of us up here, on. some of us up here will do the cut to length. Some are conventional like you do, or we pull it to the landing. We load the trucks there and haul it out. And we have the skidders, the bunchers, for, and some do forwarder and processors, a wide range, a lot. And the same thing with sconce. 
Edmonton. Um, there was one guy, person called and asked about what kind of weights. They were curious to know what kind of weights can you haul in your semis down there on your trucks. Are you running five axle trucks, six axle trucks, and what's your tonnage? Do you yeah, normally both cars are traditional eighteen wheeler trucks with a log, uh, long log trailer, like your man looked at uh, going up the highway with those poles. There'll be a log trailer with four bolsters and uh, usually. Uh, 80,000 pounds is our state weight limit, but we're allowed a 10% tolerance for allowance for scales, you know, that where they really? weigh them at the scale, that sort of thing. So we actually can go on 88,000 pounds on state and county roads, but we're limited only to 80,000 pounds on the interstate, which we're working with American Loggers Council to try to get some relief on that so we can actually get on the interstate because generally it's a safer route to a lot of our mills and uh, sure. get some off of these these state and county roads where there are traffic lights and school zones. But 88,000 is generally what they shoot for. They do have some axling issues. They have to be able to axle some of them out. And a few years ago, we did a lot of work with some of the University called Wood Supply Research Institute where they looked at different kind of loading schemes where they could piggyback loads or spread loads out on the trailer or reverse index the wood so they could actually, you know, get the axles to where they were not overloaded on on axles, but it's very difficult to do that when you're hauling soft timber or ply logs. So and, and there's then some they, real restrictions there on on axle uh, issues uh, specific to our road road sure. Okay, like over in Wisconsin, Henry, what are your weights over there then? Uh, for our force, we are ninety eight thousand pounds on six axles, and we have a eighteen thousand pound maximum axle weight, which is about a ton below federal axle weight allowance okay okay yeah so and how about minnesota peter what does that compare um right now well in the summertime we can go to 94.5 roadside and if you can make it to a mill it's 99 as long as you're under that and then right now in the winter time i think it's 103.5 uh roadside i mean if you get pulled over by the dot you got to be 103.5 something like that and under you're legal okay. and at the mill 109 but that's what's you got to have six axles and you got to have the forestry sure. permit you got to have that if you don't have that i think you go down to the regular 88 now and eighty thousand the summer and so and if well, you don't listen, have it they guys, will know we, when they uh, pull you over they will know it guys we have to take our fox news break at the bottom of the hour here we're actually running a little bit late when we come back though could we talk a little i i heard bill talking about hardwood in alabama before that and i do know that uh the carolinas and alabama places are probably our biggest suppliers of furniture and i'd be curious to know how many uh how many options you have to supply wood to the furniture industry in alabama and i'll bet you it's a lot but let's talk about that when we come back after our fox news break a little wood choppers ball <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, can, uh, we're, we forgot to bill you there. I'm still here. Okay. Could okay. you tell the folks out there listening, what is your actual title and what do you actually do so that we know you, but uh, we're not going to say it the right way. Could you tell all the folks out there that are listening what okay. you really? 
I worked for a forestry cooperative that started in Louisiana in 2004. A group of loggers got together and said, we've got to do something to impact the cost of our operations. And they got into the fuel business. So they started a fuel cooperative called Southern Loggers Cooperative. And I'm an assistant director for that cooperative. Uh, our main office is in Pineville, Louisiana. And uh, we have about 3,200 members and uh, probably about 2,000 active accounts that buy fuel from us on a daily basis. So we move a lot of fuel to loggers. And you have to be a logger to be a part of that, I take it. That's correct. It has to be ag forestry related to be a member of our co-op. And it's a true co-op, and we try to produce savings for them, and we also uh, try to provide a dividend at the end of the year. We try to make sure that all of our operations are in the black so we can be uh, responsible in helping our loggers save some money. So, Bill, d- does that mean you actually have, like, a service station where a logger can pull in and put his, use his card and char- we fill do. up? We do. We have card lock stations, and we're operating in seven states at this particular time. And there's two guys okay. in the and We have an office of ladies that keep up with accounts and that sort of thing. But that's basically our business. But I came out of the forest products industry. My dad was a logger. Uh, he was in the timber business for 35 years in South Alabama. I worked for Louisiana Pacific as a forester, buying logs for a sawmill. I also worked for a trade association for about 20 years as well. Okay. Now, when we went to break, I was asking the question, is, is furniture production a fairly large uh, consumer of wood in Alabama? I know it is in North Carolina and some of those areas, but I've, I've understood that Alabama also has a fairly strong furniture industry. It, it's not a huge, big industry as far as manufacturing part of it. There is some of that here. We have some cabinet makers in central Alabama that are pretty well-known uh, they, they have a pretty big cabinet operation out of Asheville, Alabama. I can't think of the, the name of Wellburn Cabinet, I think. But they're big manufacturers of hardwood as well. But uh, most of our hardwood is actually going into possibly export and also into some of the other manufacturers into the Carolinas. But a lot of that manufacturing went offshore back in the 90s. And we lost a lot of oh. our manufacturing. And uh, hopefully some of that's beginning to come back. But, uh, yeah, we have a dynamic hardwood operation here. Most of a lot of it we have uh, their Delta Hardwoods, one of the largest hardwood sawmills in America is in Linden, Alabama, uh, Linden Lumber Company. And they, they harvest a lot of it. But a lot of that goes into box, box crates and those sorts of things and kind of second pallets and that sort of industry. There's a little bit of grade lumber, and particularly in northeast Alabama, there's several companies that are pulling out. They're not large sawmills, but they do focus on trying to buy high-quality red oak and white oak and that sort of thing. We do have a component where there's two mills in North Alabama that are cutting white oak for barrel staves. And the stave industry for for the people that manufacture or uh, folks that uh, enjoy the environment of, of your local pub up the road there. Uh, they're making barrels for the whiskey industry. He so, put that so politically correct, didn't he? <laughs> <laughs> but it is a viable industry, and it's growing. In fact, uh, I think they have four mills in Virginia now. They're exclusively dedicated to, to cutting white oak for the barrel industry, not only for domestic market here, because a lot of it goes into our domestic markets in Kentucky. Then after they use them one time, it goes over to to the U.K. for another brand of, of, uh, uh, of liquid that they make over there. But anyway, oh, wow. it's uh, selling business. And, uh, and oh yeah. Uh, so the, the how, about, how about the flooring? How about the wood flooring industry, Bill? Is that affected at all down in Alabama? I mean, uh, where do they yeah, manufacture yeah, all of this uh, flooring that you can put in your home and stuff? 
Yes, Bennington has a mill here near Epps, Alabama, and they've been manufacturing flooring for quite a while. And uh, there's some other companies that do as well. But a lot of that goes into Tennessee. There's a lot of flooring mills up there as well. And uh, they're looking for quality red oak that doesn't have mineral stain. And a lot of our Delta hardwoods do have some mineral stain in it. And uh, But okay. our, our Cumberland Plateau hardwoods, you know, they, they, they grade out pretty well. And some of us high-dollar wood. And, um, you know, they have to, to make sure they cut it within the specifications that they don't waste any of it as well. So that's, yeah. that's a big part of it. But that's, that's a little bit different kind of operation than production forestry here in the south part of the state. Uh, they usually do a little more hands-on harvesting. They may be doing some cable logging, uh, particularly in some of those hilly areas up there on the mountain plateau and in, in that area of north northeast Alabama. Well, Peter, I know that uh, uh, I was interested when when Bill was talking about the uh, oil and gas industry and helping out the loggers there. Have you ever considered anything like that? I know that the first time I met you at a conference, uh, that was one of the things that made you unique is that you had buried tanks and you bought a large uh, large amounts of fuel ahead of time when it was at a discounted price so that you could make some money in your mm-hmm. operation. Yeah, but we, I'm wondering if you've ever looked at a at a cooperative base like that. Well, when I met Bill out in D.C., I think it was last year. I think it was, wasn't it, Bill? And you were telling me about it. We yeah. we we have our own tanks. But um, what he's talking about, ours are above ground, and they do yeah. hold quite a okay. bit. And you can save a fair amount of money by buying, but you got to buy transport loads at a time. You can't buy 2,000 gallons. you got to buy a full semi-load at a time right. is what it is. Right. And I think down there with the fuel, it's a bunch of loggers together, where it's, and you do have big fuel tanks. I imagine they're going through th- probably thousands of gallons a day per depot is what I take it as, right. and so you have to go through a lot of fuel so you can save big there. Correct, Bill? Right, and, and yeah, we'd like to spread this around to other people. We've talked with Henry before, and we hopefully at some point we'll come to an opportunity to make something happen up there for those guys. But uh, it was a group of loggers in Louisiana that came with this idea because 30% of our operating costs goes right through that fuel tank every week, and that's significant. And if you can trim 5, 10, 15 cents a gallon off of that cost, the year-end savings is significant for an individual that's got five or six employees, a couple of trucks, and that sort of thing. And that might be his only profit for the year if he can trim that amount of, out of his uh, out of his annual operating budget. You're always trying to figure out angles and ways to save money because it's the name of the game. If you don't, you can get swallowed up in a hurry because everything is so expensive. Everything costs so much money. Brand-new machines are so much. So you're constantly trying to figure out ways to save money. Yeah, you bet. I can imagine you guys are. When I when I when I listen to uh, Bill talk about the uh, the gas uh, industry and how many how many guys are in the cooperative, I can see where that would be a major bottom line savings. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It is. It is a lot of savings. So, um, so, like to talk- so Peter, what else do you want our listeners to know about the differences between the logging industry and, say, Alabama and Wisconsin, Minnesota? Well, I wanted, if, if we could, is have Henry hit on about shipping wood over out of this country. Actually, what really takes place in Wisconsin more. Do you want to hit on that, Henry, or is it uh, too touchy a subject? No, I, I think we can hit on it, Peter. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's no secret that the tariffs have hit the lumber industry extremely hard, and it's also hit the log industry a little bit hard. But uh, you know, they 
a lot of guys were shipping uh, the raw logs over to China and get and they process them over there because they want the bark, they want the byproducts and everything. And of course, the labor is a little bit cheaper over there. And what what we're hearing now is is despite the tariffs, is that the Chinese are potentially going to drop the tariffs on the logs, and that could be good or bad, you know, because if you're a logger and a lot of the guys sold their logs directly to the Chinese without going through a broker or middleman or whatever, and if they drop those tariffs to and, and raise the price up to the point, what's that going to do to our American sawmills? You know, are we going to be able to keep that industry here? So, you know, a lot of times it's that old saying, be careful what you ask for. And I, I think this might be one of those situations where we have to be careful what we ask for. Because if we, you know, as, as a logger, I, I need to make money. I need to be profitable. And I have to keep my business, you know. And, and, and I want to point out that a logger has the single most personal investment of any other part of the whole forest industry chain. I mean, and I'm talking personal investment. I'm talking he holds the loans, he holds the machines, he makes the payments. He has a high-risk operation uh, on, a, on a basically a three-month contract. And so just to point out that he has to be profitable. And, you know, if a foreign country comes and starts offering a lot more money for that raw material because they have conversion rates and different things, that as an industry we really have to take a look at that to make sure that we don't put our – uh, sawmill industry in a very tough position because we could, you know, I mean, if it got to the point where we lost that industry and something happened overseas and they decided, hey, we're we're either going to drop the price on that raw material or we're just not going to take it, we're growing a lot of trees and we have to have a place to go with them. Very much that's so. Very good point, Henry. And that's kind of what happened with the furniture industry in North Carolina back in the 90s when we got that wonderful NAFTA agreement through and uh, it really did evaporate a lot of the manufacturing part of our hardwood industry in the, in the on the East Coast and it was significant. Can you hit on that a little bit more, Bill? Because a lot of people don't understand what took place. Could, could, could we? Correct. A lot of the manufacturing was actually where they took the lumber and converted it into uh, furniture. A lot of your Broyhill, a lot of your cabinet you know your your bedroom furniture type stuff was made there uh, you know in the burlington area of the south of uh, in the north carolina a lot of furniture manufacturing was done in that particular area and when we kind of let go of nafta it made the the labor uh incentive much easier to ship that raw material and lumber over to china to put it into furniture and ship it back to us. Also, it birthed in a new opportunity for even, there's a huge uh, manufacturer called Ikea that was buying a lot of furniture, particularly out of hardwoods that was manufactured in South America. They brought on a lot of certification issues with environmental interest uh, to try to look at, you know, what do we do to make sure that this this, uh, material is produced in economic and social and environmental a way that we're not harming the environment. We're making sure that people are getting paid the right amount, that the wood is being paid for to the landowner, those sorts of things. And it, it launched a whole new initiative in the early 90s into forest certification. And that's a whole new arena that uh, has come online in the last 20 years is how, how, how do we know that this product's being manufactured with an environmentally 
economically and socially uh, good practices, and that you'll start seeing those things on labels uh, on some of your wood and lumber lumber yards, and also on your milk cartons and stuff. Now you'll see a certification stamp on there that's trying to tell the public that we're doing our job. We're training loggers to make sure that they don't harm the environment. We're harvesting these trees; they're making a way for a new forest to come in after they're finished, and that sort of thing. So the certification issue is a whole new new area that you could spend a lot of time on if you wanted to. Oh, God, yeah. And then can you be now, profitable, th- too, at the same time? You're, you're always concerned exactly. about that, and we're working so hard now as it is. That's yeah. right, and, and the certification for the logger really hasn't added anything to his bottom line. It's just giving him some new hurdles to jump through to make sure he can still work. You know, he's got to meet these requirements and still uh, try to make a profit at the end of the day, but he has to make sure that he's taking care of the water quality, he's closing out his roads properly, um, he's not doing anything on the streamside management zones to protect the water quality of the site when he leaves. All those things go in to his operational cost, but yet it's not adding anything to his bottom line. Okay. So certification is a big, big thing for our industry to make sure that we're not only providing the products that the mills need, but we're doing it also with a social license that says we're trying to do it to make sure that we uh, have uh, future forests sustainable and that we're not harming the land to where it can't be utilized for other uses such as wildlife and all these other uses, recreation and those other things that people want to use the land for. Uh, also, uh, like to hit on one thing here, Henry. Uh, what it's coming up the first part of April, and Bill's going to be there as well. I take it, and I've been thinking about going. I'm um, back and forth, and maybe Henry's going to twist my arm before we get out of here. But what, <laughs> what goes on in DC in about six weeks? Well, that that's what, you know. All of our states are part of the American Loggers Council. They're they're the national organization that represents, I believe, thirty six or thirty seven states and in all the loggers in those states. So we do a spring fly in just before Congress leaves session, and that's going to be uh, coming up here April first through the fourth. And uh, we get we get on the hill, and it, there's several hundred uh, appointments that are made and visits that are made, and we discuss our issues, uh, you know, with Holland on the interstate and sustainability and national forest management. And we also let them know all the good things that are going on in the states. You know, it's a tough industry, but it's uh, it, it's a great industry, you know, and I, I guess, you know, uh, Peter and Kenny and, and Bill and Brad, you go to the grocery store, paper or plastic? You know, it, yeah. it, it, it's it's yeah. like a no-brainer, right? We, because we know we're growing the trees. We know we're doing it sustainably. And by golly, I'm a logger, and I'm taking paper. Take paper all the time, yeah. folks. Don't worry about other things. Just take paper. <laughs> Just take paper. We'll make more. There's it. lots of trees out there, right, Bill? That's correct. We got a lot of them growing here in the state of Alabama. Our inventory's up almost double what it was 40 years ago here in Alabama. Just think about that. How well, many mills you have consuming all those loggers, and you're increasing your growth. You're not even keeping up. That's yeah. correct. We're not even coming close well, in Minnesota, and I know Wisconsin. We're not harvesting not even close to what should be harvested for what is growing. And that's yeah. why Pennywise, dollar dump. Tree-wise, forest dump. Well, see, that's that. why this show, guys, is so important. Uh, Peter, uh, I'm so so proud of you for keeping uh, people coming to this show every month because you learn a lot of things. This morning I learned a lot of things uh, about the logging industry. A lot of times you think a logger just shows up with a chainsaw in the woods, cuts some trees, and hauls them to market, but you don't, you don't uh, really stop to think about all the other things that affect your industry, and that's why this show is uh, so important. So, I thank you. 
you, Brad. I just want to say, well, could I say one more thing, Brad, real quick? Yeah, go ahead. With the sure. loggers flying, if folks out there, if, if you want to call the White House and ask if you could meet with the loggers, if they get enough phone calls out there from the northern and Alabama and Montana lot, would you meet with the loggers, the White House, this uh, first part of eight? When is it, Henry? When is the actual? Is it the second, it's third? second, third, and fourth. Second, third, and fourth. And the number is, I got my glasses, 202. You got it down? All right. <laughs> Four five six one four one four. I think. Yeah. I think that's it. Is the White House number? Yeah. And sorry, folks, but I got to put my glasses on. Is that? <laughs> <laughs> you're that you're getting old like me, Peter. Terrible. It's two zero two four five six one four one four. 202-456-1414. If folks, if you could call out there and just call her and say, "Hey, the loggers are coming the first part of April." Would you be willing yeah, to meet with meet the with loggers? Them. At least meet yeah. with us. Just 15, 20 minutes so we can tell you from our end what it's really like. We're the, we are the boots on the ground. We are the ones that actually perform the work. And it is our hind ends on the line every day when we send our trucks out. Every day when we cut wood, it's ours on the line. We just want to be able to have the opportunity to keep going. And we need folks like well, you to you help go, us folks. out. Henry, Bill, and Peter, I want to thank you for being in with us this morning. we got to take our Wisconsin news break and get caught up here. But uh, thanks Thanks. for another wonderful sound off and another wonderful Let the Sawdust Fly segment here. Thank you. Thanks, guys.